Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed in reason that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that he had also, they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. And then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of your word. The good news that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. That he is not in a tomb, but he is risen. Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, just as you did these disciples on the road to Emmaus. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that, that we read this account that happened some 2,000 years ago, but the relevancy of this account is just as important and real for us today as it was for those disciples then. For just as they needed to have eyes to see Jesus in that day, we must have eyes to see Jesus in our day. So Father, we confess that without you, apart from you, and from your power, we are blind and we cannot see we ask that you would open our eyes, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are quick to believe 
your word and your truth, that we would be a people to give glory to your name, to give witness to your name in this earth, in these uncertain times. We ask this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus still walks with us today. I hope you understand this. Still today, he is too often not recognized just as he was not recognized by these disciples. He's very often not recognized by the very people who profess to follow him. More than simply walking with us, Jesus lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to think about this. So this account I just read to you from Luke chapter 24 beginning in verse 13 takes place on the very day of the resurrection of Jesus. So this is Sunday when Jesus has been raised from the dead. It's okay, bro. I'd rather have you here with us than not here with us. So hear the word of the Lord. So Jesus is raised from the dead, but these two disciples don't know what has happened. They know what's happened, but they don't believe Jesus is alive. They've heard the reports that the tomb is empty. But all they can focus on, all they can fixate on, is the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Their hearts are distracted by the death of Jesus instead of focused on the promise of God that Jesus is the Redeemer of Israel. And so Jesus is walking with these disciples unknown to them. But I want you to consider what is different for us today. Because on that day, Jesus was walking with those disciples. He was physically present with them walking down the road. But I want you to understand that what you have entered into now, today, 2,000 years later, is much more powerful than even what those disciples experienced that day as Jesus physically walked with them. Because though Jesus physically walked with them on that day of his resurrection, Jesus lives in you and lives in me and lives in all of us today who are his people, his redeemed, his children. Jesus is not just the God who walks with us. Jesus lives in us. Jesus indwells us by his Holy Spirit. In these uncertain times, there is one who remains certain. If you think this is an uncertain time, imagine how uncertain it was for those disciples who pinned all of their hopes upon Jesus to be the Redeemer of Israel, to be the Messiah who had finally come and vanquished the enemies of Israel and restore the kingdom on earth. And they pinned all their hopes on this Jesus only to see this Jesus crucified, buried, and left for dead. 
And now, not only is he dead, but we don't even know what's happened to his body. Talk about uncertainty. But Jesus is the constant. He is the one who is certain throughout all eternity. Jesus the Lord. In these times when the unseen seems to hold power over all that we can see, we must not be moved by what we cannot see. We must be established in the living truth of the risen Christ. We must see him and know him through faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's our promise. This is the truth for all who have been given eyes to see and hearts to know the risen Jesus. Christ in you is greater and more powerful than anything seen or unseen. Greater even than death. In his encounter on the road to Emmaus, Jesus highlights three areas in the life of these two disciples. He draws attention to their walk, to their conversation, and to their heart. And each of these three aspects of our own life in relation to Jesus is vitally important. This is why the Bible is not some antiquated ancient book that has no relevance for us today. Because the same things man has been dealing with since creation, since the fall in the garden, the same schemes, the same things the enemy used to deceive Adam and Eve in the garden are the very same things he uses to deceive us today. The very things that Eve and Adam gave themselves to in the garden when they took the fruit against the will of God, against the word of God, are the very same things that cause us to pursue the lusts of our flesh, to go after the things we can see with our eyes, the things we can touch with our hands, the things that we think will make us wise, the things that we think will make us happy, the things we think we need, the things we want right now. And we forsake God and we forsake truth and we forsake everything else for those lusts of our flesh. The lusts of our eyes and for the pride of life. This is what man did in the garden. This is what man continues to do. And this is why Jesus is still the answer today. He was the answer from the beginning. He was the answer 2,000 years ago. He is the answer today. The world is not more uncertain today than it ever has been. We are just experiencing uncertainty that people live with every day in other parts of the world. We're just not used to it here in America. But perhaps we should get used to it. Perhaps God is trying to teach us something. Perhaps God is trying to show us that in our self-sufficiency, in our ability to be our own gods and to govern our own lives and to control our lives or we think we control our lives. Perhaps we're not as in control as we think we are. Perhaps we need to confess we are not in control. That in fact we are out of control and we need to give control to God. And allow God to have his place in our lives to be the Lord, not just who we confess with our mouth, 
but the Lord who governs not only our conversation, but the Lord who governs our walk, who governs our hearts, who governs our very life. The gloom and doom of unbelief is impacting much of the church today, just as it impacted these disciples. When Jesus says, why do you walk? Why, why, are, you, why are you sad? Why are you walking and are sad? That word sad means to be gloomy, to be in despair, to be discouraged. Gloom and doom was the attitude of these two disciples. Gloom and doom in the face of the death of Jesus. In the face of the death of their Messiah. The one who they hoped would deliver them. Well, our hope is dashed. Our hope has been crucified. Our hope is dead. And so they're walking down the road in gloom and doom and total despair. And if you look around and you listen to many people today, it's the very same thing you hear. Gloom and doom and unbelief impacting much of the church in the face of rampant uncertainty. Now that is to be expected by the world. That should not surprise us when the world is gloomy and doomy and despairing. But the church, the people of God should not be in gloom and doom and despair. For the people of God are not of this world. We have an eternal hope living in us, transcending everything and anything that this world puts before us. The same Jesus who overcame sin and death in the grave then is Lord of all now. Did you hear me? The same Jesus that overcame sin and death in the grave then is the same Lord now. The revelation of Christ to those disciples on the road to Emmaus transformed their walk, their conversation, and their hearts. And the same must happen for us today. Do you hear me? Your heart, your mind, your life must be transformed. And only God can do that. There is no drug that's going to do that for you. There is no relationship with another human being that's going to do that for you. There is no substance you can drink, inject, snort, or consume that's going to do that for you. There is no work, there is no job, there is no career, there is no amount of money that is going to do that for you. Jesus and Jesus alone can deliver you. And until Jesus delivers you, you are dead in your sin. You may believe that you are okay. You may believe that you can see, but you cannot. You are blind. Just like these disciples believed that they could see, they believed they knew what was going on, but they did not have a clue. They were blind and deaf, and they could not see the hope that was right there in their midst because their hearts were distracted. Their hearts were preoccupied with something other than the living Savior, the only hope, the only one that could deliver them.
This is what has to happen for us today. We've got to have a revelation of Jesus that changes the way we walk, the way we talk, that changes our hearts. As we walk, we are to live in the power of the resurrected Christ. That's what your walk is. It's how you live. It's how you live your life. And we are called to live our lives in the power of his resurrection. As we converse, we are to speak knowing he is victorious over sin and death and over all the power of the enemy. In fact, as C.S. Lewis, as I quoted last week, even over all the universe. In other words, there is nothing that is not under his power and his authority. In our hearts, we are to be quick to trust, quick to obey, not slow to believe. So let's talk about our walk. Our walk is the way we live our life. It is our practice. It's our habits. It's our character. Our walk refers to what others can see and know of us, but it also includes those things that we do not allow others to see and know of us. Our walk is both the seen and the unseen of our life. God sees and knows all. There is nothing of our life that can be hidden from him. He knows our walk inside and out. Our walk is what can be seen outwardly. It is what we keep inwardly. God sees inside and out where we go and all we do. Whether we go there physically or whether we go there in our mind. He knows even the most hidden places of our heart and our mind. That may sound scary, but in reality it should be a comfort for us. Because even though we deny what's hidden in our hearts and what's hidden in our minds, even though we want to ignore those things and deny those things and keep those things closed off and pretend like they're not there, God refuses to do that. God says, no, I'm going to tear that wall down. No, I'm going to pull the curtain back. I'm going to let the light shine in on that because that's how we're going to deal with it. That's how he's going to change us from the inside out. If God were looking for a reason to punish us, we would not even be here now. God was justified, he was justified to end humanity right there in the garden. When Adam and Eve fell, God was justified to end it all right there. He could have, but he did not. Since the fall of man in the beginning, there, was, there is no human born into this world that is born apart from sin and death. This is why Jesus teaches that we must be born again, something only God can do for us. You can't born yourself again. You can't birth yourself again. You can't pay for it. You can't work for it. You can't do that. Only God can do that for you. As the scripture teaches, all have fallen short of his glory. There is none good, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. All have gone astray. All deserve his wrath. All deserve death. The good news is that all will not get what they deserve. Do you, do you hear that? The good news is that not all are going to get what all deserve. 
the, a world full of people will receive his saving mercy and his saving grace instead of his judgment and wrath. If you are trusting Jesus today, if you can say from a heart of faith, I love Jesus, I trust Jesus, not, not that you're perfect, not that you never make a mistake, but that you know you're imperfect, you know you're a sinner, and you know your only hope is the grace of God, is Jesus Christ and what he has already done. If you know that, then you can know that you will not get what you deserve. You deserve the wrath of God, but you will not get it because God has chosen to give you his grace instead. Not because you deserve it. Not because you're good, but because he's good. In Christ, we are people who have literally been given hope from beyond the grave. We were dead, but Christ has made us alive. We were without hope, but he has given us hope beyond measure. Our hope is not only in the age to come. Our hope is present with us. It is eternal. Our hope is right now. Listen, in these uncertain times, when we don't know when the end of of, of quarantine, the end of shutdown, lockdown, shelter in place, whatever you want to call it. When we don't know when the end is going to come, and I'm not talking about the end of the world because that ain't coming anytime soon. There is still much work to do in this earth, in the kingdom of God. And just because you don't know what tomorrow holds, you better know who holds today. Jesus holds today. He holds your future. You don't have to know your future. You need to know Jesus. You don't need to know what your future holds. You need to know who holds your future. You don't need to know when, when the country's going to open back up and when COVID-19 is going to go away and when things are going to get back to whatever normal is going to be when normal comes again, whatever that is, it doesn't matter. What matters is, do you know Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Because Jesus knows exactly what normal will be. Jesus knows exactly when this is all going to end. Jesus knows exactly when and how things are going to get back to normal whatever normal is. That's not what we should be concerned about. What we should be concerned about is doing his will, is praying his kingdom come, his will be done on earth even as it is in heaven, even in the midst of these uncertain times. Because the kingdom hasn't been put on hold. The plan and purpose of God has not put on, been put on hold because there's a virus and a pandemic scaring the wits out of people all over the earth. Whether we should rightly be afraid of it or whether we should not, it doesn't really matter. It is what it is. It's here. We're living under the constraints of this unseen virus. And people have given themselves to fear. And what I'm saying to you is don't fear what you cannot see. Trust in Jesus. Don't live your life by what you can't see. Live your life by faith. Those two disciples 
on the road to Emmaus are like many of us who allow our hope to be hijacked by current events and current circumstances. This is not about denying those events or those circumstances. We're not denying there's a real virus and people really getting sick and some of them really dying. It's not about denying that. It's about how are we going to live our life with that reality? We don't want to deny reality. We still have to live our lives in the midst of this reality. And we don't put our faith on hold. We don't put our love for Jesus on hold. We don't put our commitment to the kingdom on hold just because things are happening in the world. Things happen all over the world. Things are happening to us right now that we never dreamed possible three or four months ago. But here we are. So we don't live our life pinning our hopes on what we think is going to happen. We live our lives putting our hope in Jesus who has already revealed himself to us and shown himself to be certain and shown himself to be eternal and shown himself to be victorious over sin and death and the grave. We are a people who have been given hope We don't deny our circumstances. We look to Jesus who transcends every circumstance and every event that we may encounter. Those disciples walking down the road were sad because they believed that Jesus was no longer alive and no longer present with them. They chose to trust what they were able to see, not what God had already revealed in his word. They were walking, in other words, by sight and not by faith. We are commanded to be a people who walk by faith and not by sight. There is a difference. You can't can't walk by sight and say, I'm walking by faith. We have to walk by faith in spite of what we may be able to see. Or not see with our natural sight. Living life based on what we can see with our natural sight is not faith. To walk by faith and not by sight is not denying the natural. It's knowing that all we see and all we discern naturally has been placed under submission to Christ. Listen, this world is under his rule and under his authority. You say, well, I sure don't see that, Pastor Jeff. I see viruses and pandemics and I see nations and rulers and everything out of control. Well, you're looking at the wrong thing. You're looking at everything but Jesus. Because it doesn't matter whether you can see all things placed under his authority The reality is God has already declared it. All things have been placed under his authority. And even though you can't see those things under his authority, can you see Jesus? Those two disciples walking down the road had Jesus right there in their midst and they couldn't see him. Do you think it's possible that there are a lot of people who profess faith in Jesus who are living their lives looking for Jesus, and he is right there in their midst, but they can't see him. You don't want to be that person. And if you think you are that person, then ask God 
to open your eyes and give you sight to see Jesus. We walk by faith in Christ and not by sight according to this world. That's how we are to walk. That's what our walk should be. By faith and not by sight. Knowing that even though we cannot see him physically, even though we cannot discern him physically, he has promised, he has given us the assurance that he is there. That he is in us. And we are in him. So we believe what he has revealed. What he has proclaimed in his word. What he has made certain by his resurrection. And by his spirit that lives in us. This is how we are to walk. This is what it means to walk by faith. And not by sight. Our conversation our conversation is part of our walk. In fact, our conversation reveals much about our walk. The two disciples Jesus encountered on the road to Emmaus were sad. This was revealed through their conversation. Jesus asked them the question, Luke 24, 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? There was no reason for them to be sad. But they could not see that they did not know. They could not see and they did not know the hope that was in their midst. We could say this today. There's really not a reason for us to be sad. It, it, it doesn't mean sad things haven't happened. But if we're looking to Jesus, if we understand who Jesus is and that Jesus has overcome all the sad things that ever have and ever will happen. And though we may have times of grief and times of disappointment, we know that our life is not sad. Our hope is not sad. Our future is not sad. In that moment, those disciples could only see a reason to be sad. They became gloomy and discouraged because of the circumstances and events that had transpired. <clears throat> they could see what had happened, but they could not see Jesus. That's very often where we find ourselves. We can see everything that's happened, but we can't see Jesus. We fix our eyes on all the things that are happening and we take our eyes off Jesus. Just like Peter did when he stepped out of the boat. And he was fine as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But the moment he got his eyes on the waves and the wind, he sank. Those disciples could not see the reason for, for hope. They couldn't see the reason for their gloom and their doom to be dispelled. They could not see a reason to believe and to trust. Our conversation is important. Remember, it was through words that God created. Our words are powerful. They hold the power of life and death. 
Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So choose your words wisely, because the Bible says you'll eat the fruit of your words. And you'll either eat life or you'll eat death. There is a way we can misuse this truth, but, in, but it may be that the greater danger is in underestimating the power of our words and of our conversations. Just as our walk speaks of our life and our lifestyle, so does our conversation. In fact, the word conversation carries that meaning, the meaning of our conduct. In the King James Version of your Bible, you'll, you'll see the word conduct actually translated conversation. Order your conversation, the King James says. In the newer translations, it changes the word conversation to conduct because there is a correlation between our conversation and our conduct. Today, we think our words mean nothing, but to God, our words mean very much. Just as God's word means very much. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus said, my word will never pass away. So our conversation matters and our conversation speaks of our conduct. The way we actually live our life. The word of God should inform our conversation along with all of our life. And as we hide God's word in our heart, we fill our heart with a supply of power that is able to create and recreate hope and light in the most gloomy and dark of places. Life is filled with valleys and shadow. It is the hope and the light of God's word that will pour from the abundance of our heart as we fill it with his truth. So we are to keep on hiding God's word in our heart. God's word is not just something that we need to, to know from a distance. You can't just put this Bible under your pillow and think that because you sleep on top of it, it's going to fill your mind because it will not. If you don't break this Bible open, if you don't break this bread and begin to eat it, it cannot get inside of you. And I'm not talking about you reading your daily devotion or your daily bread or your, all of those things are fine, but there is no substitute for the Bible. Your scripture rock that you read a scripture out of every day is not a substitute for your Bible. Your Jesus calling or your God calling uh, uh, devotional is not a substitute for your Bible. As good as they are, as encouraging as they may be, they are not scripture. They are not inspired by God, but this right here, this is inspired by God. It is God's word. It is what we must hide in our heart. It is what we must fill our hearts with so that there is an abundance that can come forth. Our heart. Our heart is the reservoir holding the abundance that issues forth from our life. Those things that order our walk and our conversation come out of our heart. Luke 6.45, Jesus said this, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why it's important to be a good listener. Because if you listen to people long enough, you'll know exactly what's in their heart. Because what's in their heart is what's going to come out. Jesus points out 
that the two disciples were slow of heart. They were slow to believe God's word. Listen to what he says to them in Luke 24, 25. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You see, they, they didn't need to see what they thought they needed to see because the prophets had already spoken it. The prophets had already, re, already revealed it. Many people today say, well, you know, if I, could have just, if I could just be transported back into time and see the empty tomb, then I might believe. No, you wouldn't. You would not believe. Even if you could walk into that empty tomb, you would not believe. And the reason I know that you would not believe is the very fact that Jesus tells these disciples right here. You've already been told. It's already been revealed. And your hearts are slow to believe. Seeing is not believing. Seeing with your natural eyes is not believing. In fact, Jesus told Thomas, Thomas, blessed are you for having seen you believe. But more blessed are those who will believe not having seen. That's us, church. Your faith is not dependent upon you seeing a physical Jesus. Your faith is dependent upon you seeing Jesus by faith. Seeing Jesus with the eyes that God gives you. Trusting Jesus with a heart that God gives to you. It has nothing to do with your ability to see anything naturally. To know anything naturally. It is not a natural revelation that will save you. It is a spiritual revelation. All the people searching all of the critics and all the critical literature that's been written over the centuries. And we think we're the smartest people to ever live. That there's smarter people living today writing new critical thinking about Jesus. Give me a break. We're as dumb and as foolish as we've ever been. No one has ever been saved by critical thinking, by intellect, by seeing in the natural. God has designed his world and his creation in, in a way that you must have faith in order to please God. You will search all of your life for an intellectual reason to believe and to trust, and you're never going to find it. It is by faith. It is the gift of God. And only until you run out of your energy and exhaust all your resources and finally come to the place where you realize, unless God gives me what I need, I am hopeless. Because that is the condition of us all. Until God gives us what we need, and we need him, we need Jesus. Until God gives us what we need, we are hopeless. In Christ, we can be assured that God has given us a new heart. This is God's promise to his people, spoken by the prophet Ezekiel long ago, and now fulfilled in Christ. 
Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 21, the prophet writes, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes, and keep my judgments, and do them, and that they shall be my people, and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts follow the desire of their detestable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. And again, he says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Ultimately, what is in our heart will come out. We can say words that sound faithful, but out of the abundance of the heart, our conversation, our conduct, and our walk will be ordered. When God gives us a new heart, it is to be a heart quick to trust and quick to obey, not a heart slow to believe. And he said to them, O foolish ones, Luke 24, 25, O foolish ones and slow to believe, of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? That was a question he asked them. And the answer is yes, because that's what the scripture proclaimed. That's what the scripture has revealed. And beginning at Moses, verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The remedy for a heart slow to believe is the washing of the water of the word of God. It's the same remedy that our minds need. The remedy for an old mind is the washing of the water of the word to renew our mind. This is exactly what Jesus did with these two disciples He did not just point out their hearts that were slow to believe. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This is exactly what we are to do today. Instead of becoming sad and gloomy and discouraged because of current events or circumstances, we are to go to the word of God and allow the Holy Spirit to expound to us in all the scriptures the things concerning Christ. And Christ is our victory. He has overcome the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Look at me. Do you believe that? Then let his victory overcome in your life. Let his victory overcome in your life. Jesus, the Lord. That's a good question because if he's not in your heart, if he's not in your heart, you're lost. If he's not in my heart, you're lost. I'm lost. Listen to me, church. If Jesus is not in your heart, you are lost. If Jesus is not in my heart, 
Even though I'm a pastor, even though I'm standing up here preaching the word of God to you, if Jesus is not in my heart, I can say all the things I want to say. They can sound right. I can quote this Bible right here. But if Jesus is not in my heart, I am lost. Do not come into the house of God and pretend Jesus is in your heart if he's not. If he's not, get him in there. If he's not, repent right now and ask him to come into your heart. Because he is the only one that can save you. He is the only one that can set you free. The only one. You hear me? The only one. The only one. And the measure of Jesus being in your heart is going to be seen in your walk. It's going to be seen in your conversation. It's going to be seen in your heart because out of the abundance of your heart will flow either faith and love and Jesus or all the things that the world has filled your heart with. I suggest you listen to the word of the Lord. Because what I have to say, my opinion really is not important. I'm speaking it. My intention is for you to hear the gospel, for everyone to hear the gospel and to be saved. Because apart from the gospel, you cannot be saved. Can't be. Coming to church ain't going to save you. Only Jesus can save you. I want you to come to church. Christ is salvation. And that salvation has got to manifest in your life. That means your life has got to change. If Jesus is in you, your life's got to change. If Jesus is in you, your life's got to change. You hear me? We're done recording, right? Thank you. If Jesus is in you, your life's going to change. If Jesus is in you, you're going to be delivered from meth, from drugs, from alcohol. You're going to be delivered from all those things that you don't want to be delivered from. You're not going to be delivered temporarily. You're going to be delivered eternally. Eternally. That means you're going to live your life you're going to speak, you're going to live, you're going to walk in a way consistent with Jesus. You're not saved by your works. It's the work of Jesus that saves you. And if the work of Jesus has delivered you, that work's going to be manifest in your life. And I'm just telling you this because it's the truth. And you need to hear it. We all need to hear it. This is our problem today. This is why we got a world afraid of viruses. And I'm not saying don't be afraid of the virus. I'm saying you better fear God. Because God is the one that unleashes these things into the world. Because we got a church that's powerless. We got a church that allows people to just pretend like they're saved and they're not. And I'm going to tell you what, you cannot pretend your way into heaven. You can't do it. You can parrot all the right things, 
But until this right here is changed, you are not saved. You are not. And so what does God command all of us to do? Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was true 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist preached it. It was true months later when Jesus preached it. It is true 2,000 years later right now. Repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen, church? Let's get ready to come to the table. If you're not right with God, don't come to this table. I'm going to just tell you right now. If you have confidence in your heart toward God, you come to this table. You can get right with God. You can confess your sin and know that God will forgive your sin and heal you from all unrighteousness. Forgive your sin. But don't come pretending. Don't come because you're perfect. Come because you know Jesus is perfect. Come trusting Jesus because he is the only way we can be saved. Christian, come to the table. Let's all stand. It's important for us to recognize our weakness and in recognizing our weakness confess his strength for when we are weak he is strong. The same Jesus who overcame sin and death in the grave then is Lord of all now. The revelation of Christ is to transform your walk, your conversation and your heart. This was true for those disciples then. It is true for us today. As we walk, we are to walk in the power of the resurrection, the power of the resurrected Christ, delivered, set free, redeemed by the Lamb. As we converse, we are to speak knowing that He is victorious over sin and death and over all the power of the enemy. Don't give place to the devil in your conversation. Don't give place to the devil in your hearts and in your minds. Don't let your secret sins and your secret fears and the things that you won't speak out loud hold you captive. Give them to the Lord and be set free your conversation is not just what comes out of your mouth. It's what takes place in your heart and in your mind. In our hearts, we are to be quick to trust and to obey. Never slow to believe. Don't be slow of heart. Trust Jesus. Hide his word in your heart so that from the abundance of your heart, his word can come forth. Because his word is a thing that will never pass away. His word is a thing that has the power to deliver you. His word, his gospel is the power of God to salvation 
for you and for those of you who will hear it through your mouth and through your life. Amen.